Welcome to the IoT Podcast, the home of IoT talks and tales. I'm your host this week, Tom White. Tune in every Monday as we're joined by the biggest names in IoT to unravel the trends, misconceptions and predictions for the Internet of Things. Make sure you're subscribed and press the notification bell so you're never out of the loop. Hi guys, before we get into the episode today, I wanted to give a shout out to our sponsor, Akenza IO. Akenza IO are a self-service IoT platform allowing you to build great IoT products and services with real value. Hey Eric, welcome to the IoT podcast. Hey Tom, thanks for inviting me. Uh, happy to be here. Well, I'm glad you are here. I mean, we met on IoT Coffee Talk. Uh, I love that show. I love the guys. I love how informal it is and the regular cadence that happens. And, and it means sometimes I get to meet people who uh, I don't normally talk to, right? Um, and I really want to use this platform here on the podcast to be able to kind of uh, launch uh, new people into our viewership, right? So people that maybe are discovering new influencers in IoT to talk about their business and their background. And I, and I thought it was a perfect opportunity to get you on. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Thanks. You're welcome. So, uh, so Eric Simone, can you tell me a little bit about your background, who you are, and how you got into this mad, crazy world of IoT? Oh, sure. Uh, so I'm a computer science uh, grad from many, many years ago, uh, mid 80s, right? Uh, and spent a few years at IBM uh, early in my career, did some mainframe programming for air traffic control, spent some time at Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, built uh, their hospital intake system when I was 22, 23, something like that. So I, as I joke with my, my team, I used to be good at things like programming. Now they're much better than I, I ever was. Uh, and then in the in the mid '90s, I, I I left IBM and did a startup in the Bay Area, and turns out happened to be a good time to do a startup in the Bay Area, right? So uh, uh, that company is a big system integration company today, software company or services company, I should say, called Proficient. Um, they acquired my company, and then in uh, 2007, uh, a few buddies of mine from IBM said, "Why don't you go do it again?" And so that's what started Clearblade. And uh, along that journey towards uh, uh, services nirvana, uh, we decided to focus on IoT and edge computing. Nice, nice, good story, and a, and a, and a nice success background, right? Um, how was that's that? For, yeah, how was that for you? So, is pro, so proficient bought your business? Is that right? Was that uh, yep. and and you, did you stay on for an earn out, or did you leave? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, it, this was 2000, so we all know what happened right after that, right? The dot-com bust. Yeah, all the, all um, the computers stopped overnight. I think oh, I gosh. It was, <laughs> you know what? I learned a lot. Um, we survived uh, together, right? You know, my company was based on IBM software. Proficient at the time was based on a company called Vignette in Austin. And uh, IBM actually, during the downturn, thrived. They did pretty well. And so um, I learned a lot about being a public company. I learned a lot about what it was to, 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 to sit on the board and, and to help uh, that company through navigate those waters. So I spent three years um, helping Proficient uh, the best way I knew how, which was selling business and working deals with IBM and so forth. And it worked out very well. Today, Proficient's a very successful company, now based in St. Louis, 
uh, one of the people that, that we brought on is now CEO. And um, that experience, I had three years uh, of doing that. And then in 2000, oh gosh, what was it? 2003. Yeah, I, I left and was deciding what to do with my, with my career. And uh, so I took a few years off of, of tech. Yeah, that's that's great, right? Um, and and a lovely a lovely place to be to be able to do that both financially and in a headspace to be able to just take a yeah. take some time out. And and do do you think that helped then when it came to you know talking with your IBM buddies about going and starting Clearblade to have that time oh big off? time, big time. So the four years I took off, it was really my wife's turn. I remember having that conversation with her. I said, look, you, you know, she, she, we met in San Francisco. She followed me all over the, the world really um, while I did that, that first company. Um, and I, and she had this dream of, of opening a woman's clothing store. And I said, why not? And at first it was just going to be, I'm going to take six months off and then go do something else. And so happens that proficient stock started to really do well. And so I had more, more capital than I thought I would have. So I started investing. I did a lot of different things. Uh, I joke with the former CEO of Proficient that I, that I should have left earlier. I was obviously keeping the stock down. Um, so it was great to do something completely different. I mean, you go from high tech computer stuff to fashion shows in Los Angeles and New York, right? Um, no offense to my programmer friends, but uh, the, the people were better looking. So, <laughs> but it was... It was it was really fun and and I did that and I did you know a couple short films uh, with friends of mine I did a, a wholesale clothing line I did some improv comedy just four years of scratching itches and just curiosity I guess is the best way to put it not a not a lot of planning mm -hmm. just a lot of experimentation and I think that that's kind of a theme of mine which is um, I I've never seen an opportunity that I didn't want to jump on. Uh, so in some ways that's a bit of a story, the story about clear Blake's it started as something different. And then when you see an opportunity, you realize life is short and you gotta, if you just really truly believe, then you got to jump on it and you really need to build a team of people to follow you, uh, on that journey. And that's really the story of what we've done here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's excellent. And I think inspirational to a lot of people out there who, might be growing IoT businesses or, or looking to go for an event at some point in the future uh, as as to what to do afterwards, right? Um, and such and such a wide range of topics to get involved in fashion, <laughs> comedy, uh, yeah. other bits and pieces. Uh, I, I'm, I'm envious that you that you've had the time to do that, but no doubt a lot of hard work and grind went in to be able to get to that point. Yeah, but grind is grind is a key word. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of Muhammad Ali, and I get this big poster downstairs that says "Grind," which is just shows success is is a lot of hard work to get there. I, I completely agree. Is you know, there's um, yeah, they used to talk about cars years ago, right? No replacement for displacement, right? And I, right. And, and I say the same about grind, right? You you cannot beat hard work in a world of automation and AI and Chat GPT making you sound and look a lot better than perhaps you are. Uh, yeah. You still got to work hard. And working, got to work hard. Hard. and working hard doesn't go out of fashion, right? So that's uh, true. I can I completely agree. Um, but you were interested, obviously, to start Clearblade. Then, so I kind of I kind of guess that you know, so you kind of left you left the business, 
sold it, did very well, had some time to kind of reflect, try different sectors, but tech pulled you back in then. So what, what yeah. made you start Clearbrave? What was that kind of driving factor to say, I'm not done yet? Uh, a few things, uh, and, and you'll laugh at this. Fear, number one, because if you remember in the US, 2008 was not a good year, mm. right? And I had done a lot of investing. I've done a lot of uh, businesses that took a lot of capital. So I burned a lot of that free, free, free cash, right? And you start getting, um, you get start getting bad news on some investment stuff in 2007. So I believe that that into, I, I just saw it, like I said, look, I've got, now I've got a baby and, an, and, and uh, uh, apparently I didn't know this at the time, another one on the way. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to raise kids and uh, you need some stability. So, so, and I also knew that I needed to get back into what I used to do. My wife was saying, look, I've got this clothing business thing, uh, honey, you're great. But, um, you know, four years is a long time to work side by side. Uh, why don't you go back and do your own thing? <laughs> so that was part of it too. Fear and my wife saying, go do it. You're, and obviously uh, my brain was grinding on this. I, I had a former partner of mine trying to bring me into his business and to run a division. And every one of my friends said, look, we know you. You should go do something on your own because you don't want to go back and, and do things that way. So, um, so I, and I had friends at IBM asking, Hey, remember what you did in the nineties? Well, we could use you to do it again. Cause I need that support. And that's how it all started. Yeah. Well, that's, um, <laughs> that's interesting you to say that I think, um, ultimately, uh, once you've started a business and gone through it, it might be quite difficult actually to go and work for someone else. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, unless you really understood the mission, vision, and purpose of that business to, to go and to go and do it, because you you've been end to end, you've done it, you've sold it, and you know, and it sounded it sounded like your wife kind of wanted you to go and do your own thing again and uh, <laughs> focus on something. Well, instead. Tom, this may shock you, but uh, when I worked at big companies, um, I didn't really follow the rules. Uh, I was very successful, but. Um, I never saw a rule that I didn't want to break that I didn't, you know, if I didn't agree in it. And I, I did a lot of entrepreneurial type stuff and it, it helped my career, but also didn't, if that, that makes sense. Right. Because if you're not going to follow the, if you're not going to color between the lines, then you're probably not built for that sort of an organization, right? Nothing against big blue or Johns Hopkins or these other places that I worked. It's just that, it was in me um, since I was a kid. I just, you know, you can ask my parents. I just didn't follow a lot of rules. Well, mm -hmm. I think a lot. I think a lot of founders, and I think a lot of people that have started businesses, do that because, in essence, they go against the grain, right? Um, because I think certainly these days it's changing a lot more with like programs like Shark Tank in the states, or you know, The Apprentice yeah. and Dragons yeah. Den here in the UK, and it becomes more. Uh, more of an aspirational thing to start a business, but it was never taught, you know, at school. So I yeah. think y years ago, for people to go out and start a business is because they kind of thought that they were actually onto something and doing things in their own way. And so I do, I yeah. do kind of resonate with that quite a lot, actually. Um, Startup wasn't even a word in '94 yeah. when I did it. it. People just called me crazy. They just said, yeah. "You're just stupid. You don't, you don't know this. You don't know this. You don't know that." And I completely agreed, but I'll tell you one of the things I've tried to keep with me all these years 
is that naivete of not knowing. Because as you get older, you almost know too much. And you know all the pitfalls. You know what can go wrong. But what makes people successful, I think, is, is that blind belief that says, I'm going to jump off this cliff and I'm going to find a way to fly because I believe in this. And by the way, things are going to change as I'm falling and I'll have to adjust. But, you know, you just have to trust in the in that process. And you have to trust in the people around you to to adjust as well. It's it, it's it's a wild it's a wild thing to go do. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And I think that's why ki kids, you know, are greatest inspiration sometimes, right? Because yes. uh, you know they 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 can go out and and ski or snowboard or do anything without any fears because it's that naivety yeah. and that's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Uh, it is. Same as you said, with starting a business, sometimes you know you uh, you can't plan everything. You've just got to go with the flow uh, and work it out. I try to put my said my myself back in that twenty seven year old brain of mine when I first did it, um, every now and then, uh, and then uh, that helps me uh, not worry and not not overthink some things sometimes. Yeah, that's a great way to be. So talk to me about Clearblade then, Eric. So what 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 does the business do? Uh, why did you why did you start it? And uh, what's the vision of the company? Yeah. So. Originally, like I said, I had some friends at IBM that said, I want you to do this. And it was around enterprise modernization. So how do you take big, complex mainframe software systems that were built decades ago, modernize them so they're usable for the next few decades, right? Very, very complex stuff. But along the path of doing those projects, and I built a, a, a really great team, um, saw a pattern, right? And, 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 it, and it was eerily similar to a pattern I saw before, which is um, saw the mobile phone, right? Take off in, in, in 2007, eight, nine, right? Saw the cloud take off. So these, these two massive forces in the industry were converging right when we started Clearblade. And the business that I was doing with the IBM folks was, again, it was similar to what I had done before, very services based. Um, you know, my first business was all based on client server, PCs and mainframes, right? And here we go again, you got this cloud and mobile thing. And it just dawned on me, one, this is going to happen all over again, right? We're going to suck all this stuff back up in the cloud. And guess what? We're going to go back to distributed computing, which is edge, right? So this watching the clouds kind of grow, watching, knowing a lot about software modernization, um, having built a business on client server before, you just have this gut intuition. And, and we, we started moving more into mobile. Um, we worked on some products, one from IBM, one um, uh, a startup called Parse. And then all of a sudden, and this is almost 10 years ago in, in April, it's 10 years ago now, 2013, Parse gets bought by Facebook. And, and we really liked their technology. We really didn't like the IBM technology, in all honesty, uh, and I don't think it's even around anymore, some of the mobile stuff. And so when they got bought, I immediately called my CTO, Aaron Allsburg, and said, hey, uh, uh, tell me all the stuff you really like about this Parse product. Tell me all the stuff you didn't like about the IBM stuff. And he tells me, and I said, well, who's now that Parse just got acquired by Facebook, who's doing this for big enterprise systems, right? Who's doing this? for companies that have legacy systems and, and need to integrate with all this stuff. And he's like, gosh, I don't know. Everybody 
talking about it. I said, let's research who's actually doing it. And that was the moment. It took a few months of Aaron and I debating it, but that was the moment that we shifted the entire business. It was a, it was a all in. It wasn't just a, a toe in the water. It was, we're going to retool the entire company. We're going to build software for this next movement. And this next movement is IoT and edge computing. Yeah. Wow. And that's 2013. So we were, we were really early. Not many people were talking about edge. In fact, no one in 2013. And IoT was just barely becoming something people talked about. And do you, I mean, thank you for the, thank you for the background there. I mean, do you think that get, that gave you like an advantage in, uh, in the fact that you were so early and were able to pivot the business at that point? Um, you know, I think, I think it was probably the opposite in a way. It's an advantage now, but I think we were just so early uh, that it, it was really tricky for us to get our arms around, right? So when you looked at it, but, but it gave us an advantage in this respect. I focused on retooling the business, right? For the first time in my career, raising capital because I bootstrapped everything before this. That was an eye-opener. While Aaron, who was isolated in a different location, Raleigh, North Carolina, while I was in Austin, Texas, right? He was given the freedom to go use his brain and build a team and build everything from the ground up based on, on what, he, what, what he researched. And he's a very research-driven CTO, like amazingly so. And, and so that isolation, I think, was a huge advantage because he looked at all these different technologies and what people were doing and, you know, uh, thank goodness, made some really, really amazing um, decisions uh, back in 2013, 2014. So yeah, I guess I guess I should say, yeah, it was an advantage. Um, there were a few other companies like us, uh, one that bought by Amazon, uh, which got them into the IoT space, a company called Telemetry out of Denver. We were peer companies. We'd go to the these uh, uh, events together and, and and collaborate a bit. It was it was a pretty cool time. Yeah, I I, I, I think it's I think it's really interesting that um, question around early adopters, right? And 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 people who are starting businesses because you can be quite visionary, you can be at the forefront of it, but because it's so new, it's actually quite difficult actually to get some traction Very. because it's quite. Uh, esoteric people sometimes uh fear and it and unless it's kind of out there uh it can be quite quite difficult to get folks to come along the journey with that so i can really understand what what you mean by that is it, it probably worked in the opposite um in fact my board at the time when we brought it up they said we don't think you should focus on iot you should tell you should call your product an integration product right and Remember that thing about I said earlier about not following the rules? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aaron and I are, are pretty convicted folks. And, and we said, uh, no, this is the right thing. We know it. And, uh, you know, and Aaron and I are about 15 years apart. He's 15 years or so younger than I am. So we had different perspectives on similar um, eras, right? Um, he's much more internet-based. I was really client-server mainframe-based. And that, that really helped us when we said we, we both believe based on our combined experiences, this was the future. And um, we came at the problem and built 
the solution in a very, very different way from everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Which puts you out, basically, you're either going to be wildly successful or you're going to be done. Right. And we knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I love that spirit. I love that gung-ho spirit to go out and do it and go against the grain because you believe in it and you have to believe in it in order for it to work in the first place, right? Uh, and fast forward to now, right? And the, com- and the company's doing well, you're growing. I mean, we'll get on to a, um, some of that a little bit later on, but uh, it was the right decision ultimately, Eric. Oh, by far. I I, I would never imagine, be, even, even with, with the vision that I have and the beliefs I have, I never imagine being in this position today. Um, I say joke with people, it's a 15 year overnight success. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the way it's playing out, gosh, we look, I mean, this is going to sound so self-serving, but we look brilliant. We're not. We just happen to be uh, not really dumb. We're, we're smart enough to have seen the trend. And we, I'm a gambler, right? Shocker. I'm a big, gam- big gambler. I take risks. The risk is paying off because of our conviction and the hard work we put in to get here. Yeah. And as we said earlier at the start of the show, right, there's no no replacement, right, for that, for hard work. There isn't. And, and the grind. So the grind. I, I get it. I get it. Um, I want to I delve into a comment that you put on LinkedIn recently, which got a lot of traction uh, and a lot of interest. <laughs> Um, And I think it's quite provocative, right? And provocative is good because unless you're being provocative, you can't stir things up. So you said, and I'm quoting, uh, 90% of platforms are gone and the remaining 95% will be gone within three years or the remaining 5% will be gone in three years. This includes Azure IoT Hub, AWS IoT Core, and yet IoT will thrive. Can we pick that apart? What does that mean, Eric? So, um, so let's just look at IoT over the last 10 years, right? Since we've really been doing IoT. If you remember, um, there were hundreds and hundreds of platforms. By the way, I really dislike the word platform. Describes absolutely nothing. Um, but I think at, at, at the peak, there were 630, 50, something like that. It's hard to count. And, um, and that was the trouble we had as Clearblade is whenever I would talk to analysts or so forth, and, and rightfully so, I don't blame the analysts. If you weren't Amazon, Microsoft, or Google, you were nobody. You're, you don't matter, right? And and Aaron and I and team, we'd be sitting there going, but wait, we matter. We've done it very differently. And you talk about all this stuff and they're like, we, it doesn't matter because it doesn't translate, right? So the, why, one, You've seen this great rebalancing. You're seeing articles all over the place now of is IoT dead even, right? Which I don't think at all. Um, but all of these platforms have gummed up the whole market, right? So imagine being, uh, you know, a, a CTO at some major company that I've got to do, I've got to connect my devices. I have to do IoT, and I've got 630 platforms to choose from, right? You you can't make heads or tails of it. So eventually, you go well. You can't go wrong with Amazon, right? Can't go wrong with Microsoft. Can't go wrong with Google. Let's just do that. And what you have in those clouds is you have all the parts of IoT to some degree. And the problem with too many moving parts for anyone that's done any software engineering in their past is it's it's it's, it's an absolute nightmare to scale. It's impossible. And so when I say that, and I truly still believe it, is we. 
the, the industry is shaking out and there doesn't need to be 600 or 80 or 50 or 10. There needs to be a handful of found. And I will call this a foundational layer, not a platform, a foundational layer that's like an operating system. So think of it like that. We went through this back in the in the 70s and 80s with operating systems too, right? Now we've got a handful that, that if you talk about specific platforms. So that's what I mean by that comment is once we get down to the few foundational layers that are proven at scale, that are proven cross industry uh, for both IoT and Edge, we can unpack that later if you want. Um, that's going to be the foundation that allows many, many companies to then build their verticalized solutions on those foundations, right? Whether we call it IoT or not, I really don't care. It just means something that works for the rail industry, something that works for, for electric vehicles, something that works for oil and gas. And these are the specialists, right, that focus in these markets that know what they need, right? Clearblade's not going to know what an oil and gas company needs, but an oil and gas company that has been around for decades will know, but you provide that foundational layer and then they can build products on top of that. That's what's gonna allow IoT to thrive and it will be exponential growth. Everyone's talking about this 19% growth. We're not gonna see the hockey stick. I completely disagree. Once we clear out the noise, it's gonna be exponential and, and it's starting already. I, I think it's a really compelling argument and I'm sure other people will feel the same because, you know, as you said, 600, 650, you know, platforms and inverted commas for want of a better phrase, uh, it's just too much, right? And uh, to get any any form of traction, uh, you need to cut out some of the dross and, and, and focus on, on, on ones that are going to follow through. So I, I, I actually subscribe to what you're saying. I, I, I believe in it. I understand it. And I think that we need to stop labeling things as what they are because different industries will have different use cases for what, what is important to them, right? A quick word from today's episode sponsor, Akenza.io. Guys, I speak to a lot of organizations wanting to develop their own smart solutions and the common barriers that keep cropping up is complexity. This is why I'm so behind Akenza.io. Using their no-code self-service platform, companies can build great IoT products with value cases connecting, controlling, managing, and securing IoT devices, all in one place at speed and scale. Their unbiased technology makes it possible to register any type of device via any connectivity technology, process the data, and make it available to any application in the cloud. The platform is adapted to organizations of all sizes, from startup to enterprise, from one device to massive IoT deployments. Thanks to the self-service solution, you can start creating your IoT case right away even without coding skills. Akenza IO are offering an exclusive 30-day free trial so you can test the platform out for yourself. Check out the link in the description and start building your smart solution today. Yeah, cloud, look, and I'm not really disparaging Amazon or Microsoft, and we all know what happened with Google, right? Yeah, yeah. Google said, all right, we're, 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 we're moving on. They're not saying we give up on IoT. They're saying we're going to go let companies that that know their their technology that have built something different to run in our cloud and that should open up what what the cloud care what do the cloud companies care about they care about cloud consumption not necessarily the engine that gets them cloud consumption so that's why when i look at the read the tea leaves look at 
Microsoft, look at Amazon. Do you think they're making money on their IoT bits? I can tell you they're not. What they'd rather have is someone else's IoT bits in there that allow customers to scale effectively, allow them to scale faster and maybe more and definitely more cost effectively because the real prize is in data analytics and AI and cloud usage, not in the engine. Yeah, I completely, completely agree. Completely agree. And, 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 you know, just touched on AI just quickly there. And of course, that's had a massive resurgence recently and becoming a lot more at the top of people's minds with chat GPT. And, you know, if you, if you think about that compared to as an individual instance, what that is being able to do for AI compared to, uh, say, you know, uh, smart devices for the IoT industry. It's just it's just chalk and cheese, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's I think it's really interesting what you're saying and how the consolidation will drive the growth actually and to give that hockey stick effect. Um, and yeah. I and I do believe in it because the fragmentation that we have, you know, is really prohibiting, uh, you know, the growth of it at the moment. And this has been spoken about for quite a few times. Yes, the fragmentation, and I've been saying something for many years now, no more IoT science experiments. It's because when you have too many parts and you're piecing it together at such a low level, everybody's building their their version of the wheel that's not quite round. That's a good way to put it, right? They're building a crappy wheel. And the problem is if you if you keep building crappy wheels, the industry as a whole is not going to, not going to, thrive or progress. You're going to have a bunch of crappy wheels that don't scale. And so it's that's why I, I'm really enjoying this time of what I call like the great rebalancing of IoT is uh, it's shaking out. And I'm not saying that everyone's going to fail. I just think that they're going to morph into something different where they're going to have success uh, based on foundational layers that are proven to scale and proven that they can integrate with other technologies and make it easier. Mm. And, and how do you think this plays out for people in the industry and in the ecosystem now? You know, what would your advice be to some of these companies, you know, looking at Google for the next well, and so on? Well, I think it, it's strategy and vision, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of service companies out there that are extremely smart, but they make their money by billing by the hour, right? And if you've got a customer that's sitting there saying, oh, you know, build me a custom IoT solution and it's failing time and time again, uh, you're not going to have a happy customer. So these companies need to say, hey, look, there's a lot of value in moving up the stack and saying, let's focus on the integration of these IoT foundational layers with the hardware and the existing enterprise system. There's a ton of work to do there to still weave this stuff together, but let's stop building at the lower levels, right? Um, having run a services company, it's very hard to say, stop billing hours doing this, right? But I think we're at that point where these companies have struggled for all these years. It's been 10 years of mostly failure. I think that's what doesn't get written about a lot is most of these projects fail. They may, they'll have some success that you'll, they'll write about. And then when you dig under the covers, it's, oh, well, they had 10,000 devices communicating once a day. That's not complex or it can be, but it's, it's not, that's not scale. You know, talk to me about a million devices communicating twice every minute, right? It, it's, 
it's it's at a different level. So these companies will start to go more into strategy. They'll go more into um, verticalization uh, with with newer products, um, and and it will just shake out just like operating systems shook out, just like databases shook out. I mean, it's it's going to go the same way. Terrific insights. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing them. Um, and it'll be interesting to, to see how this unfolds. You know, um, when it's the start of the year, time of recording, right? You know, which is coming up to the last month of Q1. It'll be interesting to, to see. Um, and, and, and for Edge, so to get onto Edge a, a little bit in this, so do you see the same pattern happening for Edge computing? Very much so. Uh, I think it trails it by about two or three years. I think I see the same adoption, you know, hype cycle curve, right? We're in the trough of disillusionment right now in IoT. Edge is still not quite there yet. Edge even more so, though, because you've got such a, you know, how do you define Edge? It all depends on your frame of reference, right? If I'm a hardware company or a gateway company, I'm going to think of the, the, the hardware, the firmware, and then a lot of these companies built their own IoT platforms in the cloud that have now all been sunset as well, right? Um, Edge is going to follow the same pattern because there's still so much custom building going on per solution, per application. Where most of the big vendors are focused, um, I just don't think it's the right spot to focus, I'll be honest. Edge orchestration is where everybody's looking, right? How do I move the bits around? That's where, that's where, that's, you know, that's what I see all the time. What I, what I think edge needs to be is more like we just talked about, like an operating system, a foundational layer that's identical to what you're running in the cloud that sits on top of Linux, right? Or, and allows you to configure that foundational layer to communicate with anything at the edge. So it's not a custom built point solution. It's a foundational layer that's flexible that allows me to connect sensors for plants. It allows me to connect railroad crossings, allows me to connect drills in the middle of Saudi Arabia. Same software. That's the part that's kind of like, well, you can't do that. I've had this debate with very smart folks, by the way. And they're like, it's, you know, you need custom built everything. I'm like, mm, you need some custom stuff. But I actually think with that foundational layer, you need an open API based like layer that sits on top of an operating system. That's a consistent, repeatable deployment. It's not it's not um, point solution stuff. And this is what where we're seeing adoption in, in one industry. Uh, with this approach is the rail industry because they want consistent, repeatable, and something that stays in place for decades, not just a few years. Yeah, yeah. And, and getting on to that, uh, congratulations. So I understand you've been awarded a contract by Chicago Metro Rail Company. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, it's public record, right? It's uh, It got awarded last month. Um, the the metro uh, is modernizing their rail infrastructure for crossings okay. so this is allowing them to monitor the 400 or so crossings around chicago uh live data uh streaming off these crossings uh to make them more efficient safer saves money saves on carbon emissions because you don't have to roll a truck to go inspect the crossing uh you have all the data streaming live off your existing rail network and, and equipment 
it's really fascinating stuff. The rail industry is unbelievably fascinating. There's a lot of tech there. Yeah, there, there really is. And I think there seems to be a renewed focus on rail, um, given uh, carbon initiatives that governments have at the moment. I know uh, France France was heralded as uh, really pulling itself out there when it stopped domestic flights, right? So pushing yep. the TGV network and so on and so forth. And, and I think um, I can see a kind of renaissance, actually, in rail. Uh, yep. certainly you know with, with, with people trying to, to limit their carbon output but I think that's fantastic you know uh, congratulations again on winning that project you know re really really fantastic for the business and, and shows you're really at the forefront of that I mean in your view then so how is edge computing uh, enabling you know real-time data processing and the analysis of uh, some of the you know IOT sensors and so on how, how does that work in a in a in a in a situation such as you know Chicago Metro or similar yeah. use cases, so you're able to do everything you can do in the cloud okay. on okay. a gateway on a physical location, right? So uh, whether it's connected or disconnected, so think about you know there, there are crossings that that we have that are in the middle of nowhere. Uh, not so much in Metro Chicago. We have other clients though where you don't have connectivity where the crossing is, but if you have a gateway and you're monitoring all that data, you can uh, then send that data, just the anomaly data, up and down the railway through through some other technology. So think of peer-to-peer, -peer, and then you get to a backhaul network, right? So what Edge allows you to do is run the complete application uh, not connected always to the cloud, if that makes sense, right? So um, you're going to see more and more of this, autonomous vehicles, just electric vehicles, uh, oil and gas, it, there's so many applications for edge uh, in concert with the cloud that it's gonna, rev to me, I love IoT. I think edge is the real revolution that's going to turn things on its head over the next decade. It's going to be absolutely everywhere. And just think of it as ubiquitous computing, right? And, and I, as the end user, the consumer, or even the operator, uh, the line should blur to the point where I'm not talking about Edge or Cloud anymore. I'm just talking about my solution, and it runs in both places seamlessly. Yeah, I mean, it's it the the, the possibilities are fantastic that we've we've got to this point. We had um, uh, Evgeny from Qualcomm and the Tiny ML Foundation on the show recently, talking about machine learning at the edge um, and and how this is going to kind of revolutionise a lot of applications and loads of different yeah. use cases. Uh, for the benefits of some of our kind of hardcore IoT viewers, you know, what, why, why is there a benefit of processing it at the edge rather than in the cloud? Is it, is it more than just speed? It's more than speed. It's more. It's cost, right? If I'm not streaming terabytes of data directly to the cloud, I can process it locally and just send the anomaly, the alerts, the things that I need. That way, one, you'll save a bunch of money. So think of it as load balancing, right? I'll be able to build a system and optimize its usage through edge and cloud, right? Or on-prem. The other thing that I found fascinating, you mentioned machine learning and AI, is um, think of, there are companies we work with, one in oil and gas today, that's got models. They've got oil drilling models that they built over 20 years, right? In you know, various different technologies, all very different, that 
have only been able to run in the cloud or in their data center all this uh, all this time. And if you're at a drill site in the middle of Saudi Arabia and you don't have connectivity, you have satellite connectivity set, I can't stream eight terabytes a day of data a second or whatever the number is, right? Some massive amount of data over satellite uh, to my data center and use the full power of those AI models because the pipe is too, it's too small. I can't fit that much data or too expensive. Mm. But if I can unleash that model and run it at the edge and then have the data stream off that drill bit to that edge and then only send the anomalies, well, now I've just, I've just unleashed 15, 20 years of innovation to be really used. So I'm fascinated by that because it was, I knew AI at the edge is going to be, is going to be a game changer, but I didn't really imagine that we could take something that was built 20 years ago and stick it out there and unleash it. Um, that fascinates me. And then you can think about more and more applications in whatever industry that edge computing can unleash that power. Yeah. I mean, that, that AI angle at the edge that you've just spoken about there, I know that was something that we were going to talk about is phenomenal, isn't it? Um, yeah. You know, that you can, you can you know, breathe new life into, into things which potentially people, people didn't think that was possible, yeah. you know, as you just mentioned yeah. now. Have we got any ethical considerations when it comes to things like that? You know, anything that we should be aware of, Eric, when we're looking at like, oh, a, AI on the edge? So... AI in general, yes. There's lots of ethical things. It just, but just like any technology, there's ethical uses, right? I mean, we go back to the the, the rich industrial revolution. There's ethical things, yeah. uh, and we're always going to be we're always going to be challenged with that. Um, I think it gets a lot easier when you're talking about machine data, um, in in this case, because it's not as uh, in the public eye as uh, you know facial recognition or Chat GPT type stuff, but um, yeah, I, I think it, 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 humans have to use technology in the right way, right? I go on and on about what we've done with the internet in the last few decades, right? It's wonderful. And then uh, I used to, I used to compare, as I still do, the internet to you know we're like a baby with a machete. We were originally just chopping down leaves and getting you know getting things cleared. Then all of a sudden we start cutting ourselves up because we mishandled it, right? And then we got to put the genie, you're not never going to put the genie back in the bottle, but you've got to start letting um, um, regulations catch up. Just, just government needs to get involved. So yes, there's an ethical responsibility in how we use any technology, not just AI. Mm -hmm. And humans just need to be involved, right? Like to me, any of the customers that we're working with that use AI at the edge or in the cloud or wherever, it's, it's artificial for a reason. It's not human intelligence. So people love to make this leap to, to, oh, it's taking over the world. And those of us that have been in technology their whole lives, I've seen this before and it's artificial. It's nothing like the human brain, folks. It is, it's math. Yeah. So uh, it takes humans to, uh, to use the software and build it, also takes humans to police themselves. So we, we have to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. You know, um, we need to be cus the custodians of this new generation, right, of tech and to make sure it's done in the right way. And and it can be quite cliche to say that. I think a lot of people talk about it, but it, nothing more 
uh, kind of ring true, then, then, then talking about it in the way that we are, just making sure that we, we harness it. But I do feel, for, look, for folks that, you know, haven't been immersed in technology your whole career, your whole life, right? It can be pretty scary, right? Just, mm. you know, my, my mom worries about, you know, her data getting stolen all the time and, and you know, she gets shredders and things that she uses, which is good. Um, and I try to say, hey, look, it's, you have to stay vigilant on that stuff. But, um, you know, sometimes you can get scared so much if you don't know exactly what's going on. Um, that it, it can be overwhelming. And it's just like, usually I believe, I, I'm an optimist, I believe in the good of humanity and we will figure it out over time. You know, I don't think we we will really want to hurt ourselves through, the, through this process. A hundred percent agree. I mean, there's good, you know, there's good in everyone and, and ultimately, you know, we, we're all striving for the same thing, hopefully, right? Yeah. But where's, where's it going, edge computing then, in your view? Uh, we've spoken about IoT and, you know, consolidation and hockey stick where's it going with edge eric so just like iot it's got to get easier uh we'll get we'll get to the point where it's plug and play um you're going to see software vendors hardware folks come together things will open up and it just has to become as easy as some of my consumer devices over time right Uh, i always use the sonos example uh you know i want my i want iot and edge to work just like sonos i buy a speaker I plug it in, I click a couple buttons to configure it, and off we go, right? Um, As much as I love developers, right? I mean, we're a technology company. Um, There are far too many people building too many things, custom all the time. I think we've got to, we really have to focus on the operator, the consumer, to make it ease of use, right? Put the power in the hands of the people that are uh, in the field of maintaining rail operations or or making water cleaner for, for grapes in Napa or, or whatever it is that they do, but let's not have to make everyone a programmer, right? Let's put, let's create really good software and hardware that's intuitive to use. And that, that takes a lot of technology, a lot of engineering, a lot of grind to get there. But I see us moving closer and closer to that sort of reality over the next five, six years. Right. And that's going to be the convergence of edge, and IoT and 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 all the stuff that comes with that. Uh, I, I completely agree. I think the Sonos example is really good as well. Uh, it was I think I only got into Sonos as a brand last year personally, right? Oh really? Uh, yeah, and I remember I remember taking the arc out the box um, and looking around the box. I was like, "Where's the control? Like, where's where's the control? There's no control." Uh, but you don't need a control, right? And I think I love that example because. If we can make Edge and IoT similar to how they've built their brand and what have you, you, you know, ubiquitous, so yeah. super simple, that's what it needs to be in order to get the adoption uh, and, to and to get it growing, right? So I, I, I completely agree. I think that's a great example, actually. And Tom, I used to be technical. My kids laugh, right? Like, Dad, you could do all this? Because I'm absolutely hopeless now when it comes to setting stuff up. So that's why I use example. I don't, I don't know why I don't have the patience to go like I did when I was younger to go figure stuff out. But when something just works, it's, 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 it's so nice when you can just plug it in, turn it on and you get music and you're like, okay, now I can have a glass of wine and not worry about filling with chords and configurations for an hour or two. Yeah. yeah. I would think, you know, I think that's convenience tech in general, right? You know, I mean, Apple did a really good job at that um in in linking everything together for it just to work nicely um 
Uh, and and I'm, I'm 100% the same. Like, you know, our lives have become a lot more chaotic, right? So the technology out there is meant to make it simpler and easier and not to make it more difficult. And I think that's also perhaps, Eric, why we see the rise of like these low code and no code solutions out there, right? To get more yep. folks in to, to doing. And I'm like you, right? And I, I studied programming, but, you know, I couldn't write more than Hello World right now and see, you know, or, yeah. or any language. Um, uh, and, and maybe in a way, but I shouldn't have to, right? And I think that's the point, isn't it? You know, um, so I can- Yeah, it's, it's a great point. Like. There's different levels of software development. Uh, there's really hardcore engineering that just takes decades. That's what we do here, right? And then there's there's another level that's I'm not saying it's any easier. It's just different. Where I'm piecing together stuff in the cloud, and that's going to be that's really complex too. And then there's other levels where I want low code or no code, where I just want to get a job done, right? It's not my career. Um, my career is doing something else, but I want technology to be a, a helper to what I do, not a hindrance. And then and then you get to the point of AI, I want that to be a helper, not a replacement for what I do, right? Uh, yeah. Or and and it's it's just a continuum of these different uh, different ways of, of of moving up the stack to provide value. A hundred percent agree. Hundred percent agree. Eric, um, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show today. I know we're going to get into some wrap-up bits now, but um, your insights into IoT and Edge uh, and how you've gone against a grain in your career but made a real success of it, I know is an inspiration to many. So thank you so much for sharing some of those stories. Um, of course. Uh, Eric, we ask a question at the end of uh, each podcast that we do now to, to find out what the prediction is for IoT uh, this year. Uh, and then at the end of the year, we're going to showcase some of them to see if it came into fruition or not, right? So, so no pressure. Uh, I think we've probably touched upon this a little bit today, but specifically in 2023, uh, for IoT only as opposed to Edge, what do you predict uh, we will see at the end of the year? What would be the biggest take home? Um, another major cloud vendor like Google will announce deprecation of its IoT core. That's about as as simple as I can get. Yeah. And, and we talked we talked about the reasons earlier, right? Yeah. It yeah. will benefit them, and it will benefit the IoT community as a whole, right? To have something that that really scales it uh, and does it cost effectively. And um, I see I see them moving this way. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate the fact that you said that without hesitation or pause, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think uh, I think that's definitely one we'll, we'll play back. Um, and Eric, we've got a question from our audience. How can edge computing be used in combination with cloud computing to create a hybrid architecture? Oh, excellent question. Um, it has to. I think that's a must, not how can it. It will. It is. We're seeing this today, like standalone execution uh, is what value Edge gives you, right? I gave the example earlier when you can collect data when you're disconnected, but the whole system has to work in concert because Edge by itself is not going to solve the problem unless you just have a closed loop system that's doing dynamic inferencing to, to, to adjust a machine maybe, but you're going to want the data and you're going to want the anomalies going back to the cloud, right? So um, 
these are the architectures, this hybrid architecture uh, that the, the, the question uh, references, that's this foundational layer on both sides of the equation at the edge and in the cloud. It needs to be identical. So it's not custom built on both sides. It's a perfect example of why you don't want to go building uh, custom solutions for these things. You want to use a foundational layer that that's seamless between both edge and cloud and can be moved. A great, great answer to a great question as well. Thank you. Yeah, very good uh, question. Thank, yeah thank you for, uh, for that person for asking. Uh, and lastly, some quick fire questions, Eric. Uh, okay, so favorite IoT use case. Oh gosh, um, I'm gonna go with the rail stuff. Okay. I'm fascinated by rail, and there's so much equipment on the railways that they want to breathe. You said it earlier, breathe new life into stuff that that's been around for a while. Uh, so I see a lot of innovation there. It's pretty cool. All right, uh, a quote you live by. Um, <laughs> gosh, which one do I choose? I'm gonna choose the funny one. Um, even a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. My uh, dad used to say that all to, to me all the time. Whenever I got too uh, high on an accomplishment, and it's a good way to keep yourself grounded. What, whatever success you have, remember that one. Sometimes it's it's a lot of hard work, but you put yourself in position to get there. It's about the people around you. So uh, don't don't let your ego run away from yourself too much. Right. I like that. That's a good leveler and a good grounder. I really like that. Uh, and this one probably uh, probably is quite interesting given your past career, certainly after you exited from Proficient. But uh, what actor would play uh, you in a story of your life, Eric? Oh, my gosh. What actor? You know, um, I'm going to go with uh, Matthew Broderick. Okay. Because of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So maybe that's not a day in my life, but that's the day that I've always wanted is that skip school, run around Chicago and do everything you possibly can for a day with your friends. That's that's the movie I'd want to be in. Yeah, that's cool. A great, great film and a great car in that film as well. Yes, I love cars. So so he, we have that in common. <laughs> uh, and lastly, your favorite tech entrepreneur. Oh, gosh. I always think about the ones I don't like <laughs> um, uh, and I won't mention them. Uh, my favorite tech entrepreneur. Um, oh my gosh, that should be like, uh, I'm going to go with old school, uh, Mitch Kapoor. Okay. Visicalc. So that, that tells you my age, but the original spreadsheet guy. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Eric, it's been absolutely excellent having you on the show. Thank you so much for all your time uh, and your insights. It's been absolutely great. Where can people find out more about you, Eric, in particular, and Clearblade? Oh, sure. So, um, obviously, Twitter, you can find me at, uh, at esimone928. So, now you all know my birthday. And, uh, and, uh, Clearblade, you can find it at Clearblade and uh, clearblade.com. Excellent. Eric, thank you for coming on to the IoT podcast. Great, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation. Before we go, I wanted to thank today's episode sponsor, Akenza IO. Don't forget to check out the link in the description and gain access to a 30-day free trial of their self-service platform. Thanks for tuning in to the IoT podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're on. 
see you next week for more IoT talks and tales.